Hello on this Christmas Eve. Welcome back to Miss Johnsy Johns. I don't know if you've been to any plays this December, but um, long ago, many years ago, when I was about 14 years old, um, I was in a play called The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. And you can find the story also in a book. So today, I would like to begin by reading to you The Best Christmas Pageant Ever by Barbara Robinson, illustrated by Laura Cornell, published by HarperCollins. The Herdmans were the worst kids in the history of the world. They lied and stole and played with matches. They were so awful, you could hardly believe they were real. There were six of them. Ralph, Imogene, Leroy, Claude, Ollie, and Gladys. They were skinny and stringy-haired and dirty and all different sizes with all different black and blue places where they had clonked each other. They lived over a garage, and when they didn't have anything else to do, they would bang the garage door up and down and try to squash each other, or the mailman, or their crazy one-eyed cat. Everybody stayed away from them. Then one day, they showed up in Sunday school. They stole all the money out of the collection plate and drew mustaches on everybody in the Bible. And though nobody knows how, they took over our annual Christmas pageant. Our Christmas pageant is always the same. Kids in bathrobes and bedsheets acting out the story of Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus being born. Everybody knows the story. Everybody but the Herdmans. That didn't stop them from picking out the best parts for themselves. I'll be Mary, Imogene yelled. And Ralph, he'll be the Joseph. Everyone else was afraid to volunteer. That left three Herdmans, Leroy, Claude, and Ollie, to be wise men. And the worst Herdman of them all, to be the angel of the Lord, me! Gladys hollered. I'll be that, uh, what is it? So then somebody had to read the whole story to them about the star and the shepherds and how there was no room for them at the inn and how the baby Jesus slept in the manger. The Herdmans were shocked. They stuck them out in the barn? Imogene yelped. And they tied Jesus up in rags and put him in a feed box? At least we put Gladys in a bureau drawer. Then they heard about the wise men bringing gifts of oil and frankincense. Claude said, what good is smelly oil? If we're the wise men, let's bring pizza. Every year, someone lent us their baby to be Jesus. 
Not this year. Nobody would trust a herdman with their baby, so Imogene offered to steal one from the supermarket. There's always babies in carts there, she said. Um, let's forget about a baby, someone said. We used a doll instead. Every rehearsal was an adventure. Leroy wanted to chase the main innkeeper out of town, and Claude and Ollie wanted to run off with the baby to keep him safe. Imogene said she wouldn't name him Jesus. She would name him Bill, and she wouldn't let the wise men worship him. Get away from that baby, she barked at them. You might have germs. When Gladys found out the angel of the Lord appeared out of nowhere in the black of night, she was sure it was out of amazing comics. Shazam, she yelled, smacking the kid next to her. Gladys liked to smack things. Our Mary was loud and bossy. The wise men were sneaky, and the angel of the Lord came from outer space. This was going to be the worst Christmas pageant ever. Some people wanted to cancel the whole thing. The minister said, I don't think anyone will come to see it. But they were all wrong. Everybody came just to see what the herdmans would do. When the curtain opened, Ralph and Imogene stood in the wings, frozen as if they weren't sure what to do. They weren't pushing or hitting or being herdmans. The chorus waited and hummed, hummed and waited like an old refrigerator. When they finally came in, Imogene had slung the baby Jesus doll over her shoulder. Then she thumped it on its back twice, hard. There was a gasp. It didn't seem right to burp baby Jesus. But that was the whole point of Jesus. He was a real person. And he started out as a real baby. His parents were real too. As real as Imogene, with her veil all crooked, and Ralph with his hair sticking out as if they had slept in their clothes out in the barn, just like the real story. Then Gladys came from behind the shepherds, shoving them out of the way and stepping on everyone's feet. Hey, she, said, she yelled, unto you a child is born. He's in the barn. She made it sound like it was the best news in the world. Right behind Gladys came the wise men but they didn't have the usual frankincense and gold and oil, and they didn't have a pizza. Instead, Leroy was carrying something big and heavy. It was a ham from the herdman's food basket. The church gave them one every year. The herdman's had never before given anything away except clocks on the head, so you had to be impressed. The herdman's were giving the baby Jesus their Christmas ham. Then the wise men were supposed to leave and go home, but instead they just sat down. Actually, it seemed like the right thing to do. After all, they had come a long way, and you wouldn't expect them to just hand over the ham and leave. It seemed natural, too, to burp a baby who might be fussy or tired, and for someone to tell people where the baby was so they wouldn't have to wander all over the place. Somehow everything wrong 
Every wrong thing the herdmen's did seemed right and natural. And then as everyone sang, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Imogene started to cry. In the candlelight, her face was all shiny with tears. Awful old Imogene, in her crookedy veil, crying as if Christmas had just come over her all at once. When everyone left the church that night, it was cold and clear with crunchy snow underfoot and bright, bright stars in the sky. Everyone said there was something different this time, something special. And though nobody could say exactly what that something was, everyone agreed it was the best Christmas pageant ever. In case you need this book as part of your collection, don't forget to um, check out the link in uh, my description. I think you would enjoy the illustrations. They're pretty quirky and funny. And next we have a portion of The Tailor of Gloucester by Beatrix Potter, published by F. Warren and Company. In the early 90s, there were um, these beautiful um, like cartoon-like adaptations of Beatrix Potter's stories. And the Tailor of Gloucester was one of them and is probably it's so hard to say my favorite um, story of Beatrix Potter's. In the time of swords and periwigs and full skirted coats with flowered lappets, when gentlemen wore ruffles and gold laced waistcoats of padisois and taffeta. There lived a tailor in Gloucester. He sat in the window of a little shop in Westgate Street, cross-legged on a table from morning till dark. All day long while the light lasted, he sewed and snippeted, piecing out his satin and pompadour and lute string. Stuffs had strange names and were very expensive in the days of the tailor of Gloucester. But although he sewed fine silk for his neighbors, he himself was very, very poor, a little old man in spectacles with a pinched face, old crooked fingers, and a suit of threadbare clothes. He cut his coats without waste according to his embroidered cloth. They were very small ends and snippets that lay about upon the table. Two narrow breadths for naught, except waistcoats for mice, said the tailor. One bitter cold day near Christmas time, the tailor began to make a coat, a coat of cherry-colored corded silk embroidered with pansies and roses and a cream-colored satin waistcoat trimmed with gauze and green worsted chenille for the mayor of Gloucester. The tailor worked and worked, and he talked 
to himself he measured the silk and turned it round and round and trimmed it into shape with his shears. The table was all littered with cherry-colored snippets. No breath at all, and cut on the cross. It is no breath at all. Tippets for mice and ribbons for mobs. For mice, said the tailor of Gloucester. When the snowflakes came down against the small leaded window panes and shut out the light, the tailor had done his day's work. All the silk and satin lay cut out on the table. There were twelve pieces for the coat and four pieces for the waistcoat, and there were pocket flaps and cuffs and buttons, all in order. For the lining of the coat there was fine yellow taffeta, and for the buttonholes of the waistcoat there was cherry-colored twist and everything was ready to sew together in the morning, all measured and sufficient, except that there was wanting just one single skein of cherry-colored twisted silk. The tailor came out of his shop at dark, for he did not sleep there at nights. He fastened the window and locked the door and took away the key. No one lived there at night but little brown mice, and they run in and out without any keys. For behind the wooden wainscots of all the old houses in Gloucester, there are little mouse staircases and secret trap doors, and mice run from house to house through long, narrow passages. They can run all over the town without going into the streets. But the tailor came out of his shop and shuffled home through the snow. He lived quite nearby in College Court, next the doorway to College Green. And although it was not a big house, the tailor was so poor, he only rented the kitchen. He lived alone with his cat. It was called Simpkin. Now all day long, while the tailor was out at work, Simpkin kept house by himself, and he also was fond of the mice, though he gave them no satin for coats. Meow, said the cat when the tailor opened the door. Meow. The tailor replied, Simkin, we shall make our fortune, but I am warned to a raveling. Take this groat, which is our last fourpence. And Simkin, take a china pipkin, buy a pinaforth of bread, a pinaforth of milk, and a pinaforth of sausages, and owe Simkin with the last penny of our fourpence Buy me one pinaforth of cherry-colored silk. But do not lose that last penny of the four pence, Simpkin, or I am undone and I am worn to a thread paper, for I have no more twist. Then Simpkin again said, Meow, and took the groat and the pipkin and went out into the dark. The tailor was very tired and began beginning to be ill. He sat down by the hearth and talked to himself about that wonderful coat. I shall make my fortune to be cut bias. The mayor of Gloucester is to be married on Christmas day in the morning, and he hath ordered a coat and an embroidered waistcoat to be lined with yellow taffeta, and the taffeta sufficeth. Suff, this saith, oh my goodness, I'm reading this story. I can't read this word. Let's try it. And the taffeta sufficeth, sufficeth. Ooh, I'm going to have to look that up for me and for you. <clears throat> Let's start that again. To be lined with yellow taffeta 
and the taffeta sufficeth. There was no more left over in snippets than was served to make tippets for mice. Then the tailor started, for suddenly interrupting him from the dresser at the other side of the kitchen came a number of little noises. Now what could that be? said the tailor of Gloucester, jumping up from his chair. The dresser was covered with crockery and pipkins, willow pattern plates and teep cups and mugs. The tailor crossed the kitchen and stood quite still beside the dresser, listening and peering through his spectacles. Again from under a teacup came those funny little noises. Tip tap tip tap tip tap 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 tip tip tap tap This is very peculiar, said the tailor of Gloucester and he lifted up the teacup, which was upside down. Out stepped a little live lady mouse and made a curtsy to the tailor. And when she hopped away down off the dresser and under the wainscot, the tailor sat down again by the fire, warming his poor cold hands and mumbling to himself. The waistcoat is cut out from peach colored satin, timber stitch and rosebuds and beautiful floss silk. Was I wise to entrust my last fourpence to Simpkin? One and twenty buttonholes of cherry-colored twist. But all at once from the dresser there came other little noises. This is passing extraordinary, said the tailor of Gloucester and turned over another teacup which was upside down. And out stepped a little gentleman mouse and made a bow to the tailor. And then from all over the dresser came a chorus of little tappings, all sounding together and answering one another, like watch beetles in an old worm-eaten window shutter. Ew. Tip-tap, tip-tap, tip-tip-tap. And out from under teacups and from under bowls and basins stepped other and more little mice who hopped away down off the dresser and under the wainscot. The tailor sat down close to the fire lamenting, one and twenty buttonholes of cherry-colored silk to be finished by noon of Saturday. This is Tuesday evening. Was it right to let loose those mice? Undoubtedly the property of Simkin. Alas, I am done, for I have no more twist. I will stop there. The Tailor of Gloucester. Such a sweet and beautiful story. And that will be it for today. Come back tomorrow. Bye.